The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome to Just the Truth Podcast. I'm Jenna Ellis. There is a really interesting case that is making its way through the court system that you really need to be aware of. Project Veritas has sued the New York Times for defamation. Typically in defamation cases, a lot of these will get thrown out at the early stages on a motion to dismiss or motion for summary judgment, uh, typically because the seminal standard is New York Times versus Sullivan. That's the Supreme Court case that highlights protections for freedom of the press and essentially says that a newspaper or publication cannot be held liable for making a false or defamatory statement about a public official or a a public figure unless the statements were made with actual malice. So what this means is that the uh, ability of public officials or public figures to sue for defamation have a heightened standard that the plaintiff has to prove the normal elements of defamation that the publication of a false or defamatory statement was made to a third party, but also the plaintiff has to prove that the statement was made with actual malice. And in the law, that term means that the defendant, the publisher, knew that the statement was false or recklessly disregarded whether or not it was true. A lot of these cases uh, have been thrown out on the basis that the defendant will claim, well, this was just opinion, so it wasn't a statement of fact. And uh, even with the campaign, I was a part of the campaign lawsuits where uh, the campaign sued New York Times and also uh, CNN and a few others for defamation. And um, it's, it is a really difficult uh, standard, but that doesn't mean that there is no ability for the plaintiff, in that case, the campaign, to demonstrate to the court that defamation occurred even with actual malice. And it was uh, certainly my belief in the campaign's belief that we had a valid legal argument because the court has uh, the ability to look at whether in context the publisher is making a statement of fact or making a statement of opinion. Opinion, of course, is protected. And whether or not we like the opinion, whether or not uh, the plaintiff would think of the statement as defamatory or negative or just something that they don't agree with, well, opinion is always protected in this country. So if I say something like, um, you know, the I don't like the weather outside today. Well, that's my opinion. That's not provably false. But if I say uh, it's snowing outside today, and I'm currently in Washington, D.C., where it's 60 degrees and sunny outside, well, that's a statement of fact that's provably false because anyone can look at the weather. I'm sure there are a ton of photographs, other ways of demonstrably showing by the evidence that that is a false statement. So not only in the context of a public official, would you have to prove defamation versus opinion on a, and a statement of fact, but you would also have to prove that it was actual malice, meaning that somehow by me saying it's snowing outside, that factually false statement, 
that that was not only intended to harm uh, the public figure, but that I knew that it was false at the time I was saying it. I wasn't just guessing at the weather outside based on, you know, some other uh, report that I relied on or that I had acted with reckless disregard for the truth. Like, you know, maybe knowing that um, it's March and unlike in Colorado, where it very likely could be snowing, it's probably not in D.C. So some of these things, um, even within the context of a provably factually false statement, when the court looks at this, it's a heightened standard when the defamation occurred for a public figure. So um, so that's kind of the landscape that we're dealing in. And most of the cases, particularly the recent ones that, you know, President Trump, of course, has uh, been very rightly uh, upset about the false and defamatory statements ba- made by reckless media and uh, people that I would certainly argue have acted with intentional disregard for the truth and with actual malice. Um, but a lot of these cases, uh, the the press, particularly the mainstream media, believes that it has almost this blanket cover to just say, well, we're the press, we're going to characterize this as it's my opinion that it's snowing outside. So even if the average reader would have understood this as a factual statement, I'm just going to couch it as an opinion. Well, getting to the truth, which is what we talk about on this show, we have to continue as a country as particularly in litigation, measuring the difference between fact statements and opinion statements in the context of not only the publication, but also how the average reader would understand that. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So this is why this Project Veritas uh, lawsuit is really important, and I want to highlight it today in our conversation because... Uh, Project Veritas sued the New York Times, and in the typical fashion, the New York Times uh, came back and they tried to dismiss the case early by saying, no, 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 there's no defamation here. There's no factually provably false statements. Anything that Project Veritas is claiming is defamation is simply our reporters' opinions. And even calling uh, people who are opinion givers reporters, uh, there's some non-truth to that, right? So we have to be really careful when we're looking at these. And fascinatingly, uh, the judge ruled that the lawsuit can go forward and finding that Project Veritas showed sufficient evidence that the New York Times uh, may have been motivated by actual malice and acted with reckless disregard uh, when it ran several of these articles where Project Veritas is claiming defamation. And um, to give you just the brief background, the lawsuit, um, and this is, I'm now reading from uh, Molly Hemingway, my good friend who uh, writes for The Federalist. You can read her article on this. Um, She says in here, 
Quote, the lawsuit, the lawsuit stems from the New York Times coverage of an explosive video released in September purporting to show illegal voting practices within the Somali-American community in Rep. Ilhan Omar's congressional district in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The video was based on Snapchat videos bragging about ballot harvesting uh, posted by Liban Mohammed, the brother-in-law of a city council candidate named Yamal uh, Osman. Project Veritas describes the, the video in its lawsuit, and this is now quoting from the lawsuit. Mr. Mohammed displayed a vast number of ballots littering his car's dashboard while boasting in Somali. The numbers don't lie. You can see my car here is full. All of these here are absentee ballots. Can't you see? Look at all these. My car is full. And just today we got 300 ballots for Jamal Osman. In another video, Mr. Mohammed filmed himself exiting an apartment complex with his hands stuffed with voters' ballots and boasting, two in the morning, still hustling. The video also included interviews with named sources as well as multiple confidential sources. So then you go on and the coverage of that particular piece from Project Veritas was covered by the New York Times reporters, uh, two, uh, two reporters who described the video in their New York Times piece as, quote, deceptive, false, and with no verifiable evidence. So those are the terminology. And so if we actually look at those words, deceptive, false, with no verifiable evidence, those are statements of fact. Can you prove or demonstrate in a court of law that something is or is not deceptive or false? Well, obviously, I mean, that's a statement of fact. And so either um, the video was edited or was deceptive in some way, um, was false or had no verifiable evidence. That's not just an opinion. But the Times asked the judge to dismiss the defamation case, um, arguing that, among other things, the statements were, quote, mere opinion, incapable of being judged true or false. So this is now where we're at in terms of defamation cases. And this is why when you look at the mainstream media and you look at the New York Times, you look at CNN, you look at, you know, all of these other um, so-called reporters, when they're making these statements, um, even saying things like, for example, on election integrity. They keep saying, you know, where President Trump falsely claimed or where there was no demonstrable evidence. Well, those are fact claims and they're making a judgment assertion because they want you, the reader, to assume that that's a fact statement. It's not saying uh, where we believe XYZ is true or it's my opinion that uh, the evidence was insufficient or I don't believe it or um, any of these things. We, we can judge very easily the difference in a rational, competent, reasonable person's mind, uh, the difference between an opinion statement versus a fact statement. Uh, but the mainstream media has been so used to the shield under the standard of New York Times versus Sullivan that they have done things that have severely crossed the line. And it's been my opinion for a long time as a constitutional law attorney that we are going far overboard of what the First Amendment was designed to protect and what the genuine freedom of the press was meant to protect uh, in the original intent of the founders. Now, we've talked on this show about 
um, the idea and the understanding that the Bill of Rights, even if we didn't have the First Amendment, still acts as a bill of protections, right? So even if we didn't have the First Amendment, even if we didn't enumerate that the freedom of, of press was a fundamental individual right, uh, within the context of the Constitution, it would still be the government's obligation to preserve and protect that fundamental right. And the founders, of course, believed that freedom of the press was so essential to a free society to keep government transparent and accountable that they specifically enumerated that in the First Amendment. It goes right along with uh, speech, with freedom of speech, freedom of association. Uh, we also have freedom of the press because we want the press to be able to speak truth. We also want the press to be able to speak freely opinions. We may not agree with each other. That's actually okay in a free society. It's perfectly fine to debate and discuss ideas. That's the, the whole concept of a free marketplace of ideas. People can exchange different viewpoints, can learn from each other, can ultimately get to the truth. But when you're talking about the freedom of the press in the context of being able to publish truth and publish fact, that is an entirely different category from opinion. And this is important moving forward because uh, not only in the context of being able to still guarantee the right of every individual, because a lot of us are publishers now, right? We uh, publish on our personal social media, even if we're not under the banner of a traditional news outlet, uh, there are still statements that we make to third parties um, on our social media that uh, can, uh, depending on context, of course, um, be characterized as publications. But we have a right to put out our opinion regardless of what anyone else thinks about it. So that's important moving forward. It's also important to make sure that we still understand the difference between fact and opinion. And I'm thinking in particular about cancel culture and this whole idea that if you or I uh, make the factually truthful statement that biological men cannot be women, uh, that now is deemed by a lot of people on the left as quote unquote hate speech or uh, something that's factually false. Well, we have to continue to hold the line and define particularly when it gets to legislation, you know, lawmaking, when it gets to the court of law, uh, whether or not we can be civilly or criminally sanctioned for things that we say that are provably factually true and that also our opinion is protected. That's the guarantee of the First Amendment. And that's also the guarantee, even without the First Amendment, that's just a redundancy safeguard. But with the First Amendment protections, that's the guarantee of our free society that we can participate in the marketplace of ideas. So this kind of, um, this whole this whole body of law that has surrounded the First Amendment, uh, particularly the freedom of the press, has evolved and has been shaped, designed to protect the freedom of the press. That's a good thing. That's in keeping with the Constitution. But like any other right, um, any other liberty, it's not absolute. There are still things that you can be held accountable for. And so when you have a decision like New York Times versus Sullivan that lays out this heightened standard, 
Uh, I think that that needs that decision needs to be clarified. And I'm really grateful that this judge in the Project Veritas suit is saying this, is saying, well, wait a minute, just because the defendant, in this case, the New York Times, is claiming that their statements are opinion statements. I mean, that's the exact same thing they did in the Trump campaign lawsuit. Just because they're claiming that they're opinion statements, that does not mean in context to an average reader or to the court that they are, in fact, opinion statements versus fact statements. And so this judge, um, Judge Wood, makes a really great argument in a 16-page opinion that, uh, that says, generally, uh, the the loss provides that upon a motion to dismiss uh, for failure to state a cause of action, the sole criterion is whether the subject pleading states a cause of action. And if from the four corners of the complaint, meaning you don't go looking at anywhere else, you don't look at you know third party commentary, you only look at what was actually pled by by the plaintiff. Did they state um, a a ground on which the law provides a remedy? Within the four corners of the complaint, factual allegations are discerned, which, taken together, manifest any cause of action cognizable at law. Then the motion will fail if they fail to do that. So the court, uh, so the, the judge goes on to say, the court must afford the pleading a liberal construction, accept the facts alleged in the pleading as true, accord the plaintiff the benefit of every possible inference and determine only whether the facts as alleged fit within any cognizable legal theory. So that's always been the standard in law. And of course, he cites to a case law precedent uh, within framing that because he's actually within the context of his decision. This judge is quoting from uh, other court cases that have uh, held this principle that on a motion to dismiss from the defendant, in this case, the New York Times, the judge looking at a motion to dismiss has to accept just for sake of argument in this context that everything that the plaintiff, in this case, Project Veritas, is pleading is true. And if true, then would they be pleading a cause of action for which the law provides a remedy. So unlike, you know, what you've probably heard that you can sue over anything, uh, that's that's true, you can file, but a motion for dis- for dismissal will be granted in civil law if you as the plaintiff fail to ask the court for a remedy according to a legally cognizable theory that the court can actually provide a remedy for. So for example, if I, um, you know, if I get really mad at my dad and I say, okay, you know, judge, I want you to, um, to look at this argument and to tell me whether or not it was reasonable for, you know, my dad to yell at me in this situation. My my dad doesn't yell at me, but just for for an example, right? The judge is going to say, well, I don't have any sort of authority over this. I mean, what what legal theory are, are you pleading that says that I have any subject matter jurisdiction over this argument between you and your dad? That's, that's a domestic 
dispute, right? That, 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 that's nothing that the court has jurisdiction over. So the court, um, and there are you know tons and tons of other examples, that the court doesn't actually have the ability under law to provide a remedy for any dispute whatsoever. And that becomes important when we talk about overreach, when we talk about uh, the judicial branch's uh, legitimate role and function. Um, we can then, of course, uh, talk about, well, does, uh, does the legislature have the ability to give the court jurisdiction over all of these different subject matters based on the Constitution, either Congress based on the U.S. Constitution or, uh, or the states? <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. When you look at why so many of these decisions that uh, the Supreme Court has issued on subject matter that's totally outside of its purview to even adjudicate, that's what we mean by unconstitutional. And so in the context of now, when we just limit this for, for the sake of our discussion today, when we just limit it to um, the protection of freedom of the press— then we can talk about whether or not the court has, um, in this case, the authority to then review a motion to dismiss and whether it can provide a remedy. And in this case, yes, uh, the court can provide a remedy when there is a publisher that makes a that publishes a, a defamatory statement that in context is a statement of fact and that the facts that are alleged by the plaintiff, by the harmed party, that if true, would then rise to the level of being a false statement, would, in theory, on the basis of that complaint, would fulfill the elements of defamation, then of course the case should move forward. Now, it doesn't mean that if you win the motion to dismiss, uh, like Project Veritas did, that that automatically means you win the case. No, that just means that you get to what's called the fact-finding stage. You get to try your case. You get to try then to prove uh, by the standard of proof in a civil court, and typically this means preponderance of the evidence, which is more likely than not, that uh, you fulfill the evidence of a, a demonstrably false statement that was published with actual malice. And that is a harder standard, actual malice, than just the truth or falsity of the fact. Uh, but this means that Project Veritas can continue. And this is a very, very good thing. And the reason that I'm highlighting this decision today, it got, of course, some press. Um, it got some 
by, you know, the Federalist and a few other outlets, Just the News, of course. Um, John Solomon is super great, um, our good friend. And a lot of the media, though, is talking, they're, they're talking about so many other issues that maybe are, you know, interesting or they think that you will care about, but they should be talking about this. Why? Because with this type of decision, and if this ever got up to the Supreme Court, which it should, this this type of case, not necessarily just the Project Veritas one, but the Supreme Court needs to refine the New York Times versus Sullivan standard by saying and setting precedent that says exactly what this court, what this judge is saying in the Project Veritas case, that if the complaint is adequately pleaded and the cause of action is sound in defamation, then they can move forward because this would provide a huge deterrent for mainstream media outlets like the New York Times, like all of these other publications that are publishing defamatory false statements that they're trying to couch as an opinion, but they're really provably false statements, um, that would give a lot more deterrence if they knew they were going to have to defend that at the fact-finding stage. There would be a trial that's a lot more expensive uh, to actually have a trial and go through you know, a year-long discovery and litigation uh, type of proceeding. And sometimes it takes even longer than that. It's very costly and expensive to defend these kinds of lawsuits. And so what the judge said here, um, and I'm scrolling down in his opinion, which by the way, if you go to the Federalist piece, it links to this opinion. Um, so you can read this for yourself and it's actually highlighted. Uh, and, and that's why I point out that you can go in um, to the Federalist uh, piece because it's highlighted and you can just scroll down to page five, for example, uh, and see the highlighted portion that says specifically, the court's review of articles involves considering the full text of the article in which the purportedly defamatory statements were made. Actionable assertions of fact are tightly intertwined with what defendants now characterize as opinion. So this just means that they're trying to say, no, 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 we didn't mean that as, you know, it's actually snowing outside. We just mean that we don't like the weather today. We're going to try to defend it on the basis of opinion. And so he go, the judge goes on to say, in part, defendants argue that their statement describing Project Veritas's video as, quote, deceptive, false, and without evidence were mere opinion, incapable of being judged true or false. However, if a writer interjects an opinion in a news article and will seek to claim legal protections as opinion, it stands to reason that the writer should have an obligation to alert the reader, including a court that may need to determine whether it is fact or opinion, that it is an opinion. He's totally correct here because the average reader, and you and I know this just from scrolling down our social media feed, right? Uh, there are so many people that will read an article or even read a headline and will take it as fact and will take it as true and absolute proof of whatever is alleged in that headline or article. And there's nothing that anybody can say to them to convince them otherwise. And the publication should have a responsibility uh, not just ethically, but also legally. I mean, ethics, you know, we can talk about that in the New York Times, but also legally, there should be an obligation 
that is legally enforceable for members of the press to make sure to alert their readers when something is an opinion and when something is asserted as fact. They are so loose about this. And we as readers need to be very critical. We need to read with analysis. We need to read by looking at the source, looking at the byline. Who's writing this? Do they have a bias that we know about? Um, obviously, you know, when you're reading pieces from me, my bias is conservative, right? So when, I, but when I'm talking about fact statements, when I'm saying, you know, the Constitution says, that's something where, you know, we should all be able to agree on fact and on truth, and then we can have our opinions on it. And that should be an obligation of the press to, okay, maybe you know that, um, you know, certain members of the press are conservative or they're progressive leftists, or they're Republican versus Democrat. But we should all be able to agree on what is fact versus what is opinion. And then once we agree that fact is fact, we aren't trying to trick our readers into the, into believing false facts. And we're also then being honest with what's opinion versus fact. And that's what this judge is getting at. And so he's talking about how, um, you know, the, di the dictionary definitions of defamation or disinformation rather and deceptive um, are really important. Words have a meaning. And especially in the law, the application of words like disinformation and deceptive, if we're using those as adjectives to characterize um, someone like Project Veritas or someone like President Trump or, um, you know, any of these public figures, even if we as conservatives are using those words to characterize, we need to be really careful and we should be. And when you have a mainstream outlet like the New York Times that is using those words, it stands to reason, not just logically, but constitutionally and legally, that our law should protect the right of plaintiffs like Pl Project Veritas to go in and try to prove their case. Now, I'm not asserting that Project Veritas necessarily 100% should win their case. What I'm saying this judge did absolutely correctly and the Supreme Court needs to uh, change and, and reconfigure a precedent within New York Times versus Sullivan, the ability of plaintiffs to prove their case. Now, there's still going to be times, of course, that it's manifestly obvious in context to a judge that, yes, this is an opinion piece. And, you know, sorry, public figure, you may not like when, um, you know, someone calls you a bad name or, you know, they say something that's a negative opinion about you. But, you know, too bad. That's part of our free society to be able to exchange opinions. It may not make them look good, uh, you know, the, the speaker, but that's fair. Uh, everyone's entitled to their opinion. What they're not entitled to are false facts. So let's look at this case. Uh, I'm going to be continuing to follow this. And I am really grateful to this judge for writing this, this opinion, because this is the correct uh, legal distinction between the protections of freedom of the press and the right of public figures to be able to sue for intentional or reckless, actual malice, false and defamatory statements. We should want the press to have the ability to be held accountable by people which they harm by false, 
malicious statements. I mean, that that is a no-brainer in the context of our law, fundamental fairness, and the Constitution. So, um, so definitely check out this article. Uh, check out the uh, 11-page opinion. Um, this is in the Supreme Court of the State of New York, uh, County of Westchester. The uh, case is Project Veritas versus the New York Times and, and these uh, two journalists. And it was a decision in order uh, that it looks like was in, let me scroll down here to the date. Um, so it was dated March 18th. Um, and this is by the Honorable Charles D. Wood, Justice of the Supreme Court. And um, I really give him a lot of credit for this decision. So uh, that is it for us today on Just the Truth podcast. Of course, we're going to be talking a lot more about constitutional protections. We're going to be talking more about your rights, and we're going to be talking a lot more about the truth of how our government has legitimate roles and responsibilities. And in this case, I really hope that we continue to protect not just the freedom of the press, but to protect the right of plaintiffs who've been harmed by factually false defamatory statements. So I'll be with you tomorrow on Just the Truth.